HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. HRN has a brand new look, but we're sharing the same delicious stories. Invest in the future of food radio by becoming a monthly sustaining member at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. I'm the host here on Beer Sessions Radio. And big shout out to HRN, Heritage Radio Network, has a great new website at heritageradionetwork.org and a new branding. So we're really excited about that uh, going on our 12th, 12th year now uh, as Beer Sessions Radio. So it's July 6th, 2021, Tuesday. We're recording remotely and I wanted to talk about generally summer beers, beer and food pairing. But with uh, some of the experts we got on the show, we're going to go a little deeper. In fact, we might touch on nose to tail and uh, some other what I find interesting culinary uh, things to talk about. So let's go through and introduce our guests quickly. Um, start with Angela. Yeah. Hi there. Um, just a little bit about maybe what I'm doing right now or so my background? A little bit about your background, because you're quite the uh, food and beer pairing expert. Yeah, that's the thing. I've done so many different things. <laughs> um, I just love pairing. So when it comes to cigars or cheeses or dinners, food in general, pairing it with beer, it is a huge passion point for me. So I've been uh, very lucky to be able to manage various beer programs, pairing programs, working on the floors, Cicerone, putting together even a, a, a community college program, especially centered around beer and food pairings. Uh, I've been able to do classes, virtual, of course, and in person for years, and it's just been a great joy of my life. So it's really exciting to be able to talk about that today. Also mentioned, it used to be a, a draft tech, but um, f- uh, food and, and beer pairings are definitely, again, the big passion. Yeah, and we're going to talk a lot with you tonight. And also to note, weren't you one of the youngest advanced Cicerones? 
a certified Cicerone. Yeah, that's so funny. Um, wow, God, seven years ago now. When I was 21, yes, I was able to pass that exam pretty much just after I turned 21. So uh, that was able to help me get launched into the industry, and I've just been kind of going from there. No, but also, yes, in advance Cicerone now. You're great. You worked your way up from Michigan to New York, and we've got a lot to talk to you about. Emre, uh, give us an intro, please. Hi, I'm Emery Woods. I'm the founder of Right Side Brewing. We're a non-alcoholic beer line out of Atlanta, Georgia. And um, I have been in beverage for about five years now, and we just launched in January. So I'm excited to talk to you all today. Great. Thank you. And Richard, I want to give him the intro. Um, When we first started talking about summer food and beer pairings, I wanted to have Chef Richard Knight join us. But then we realized that he's part of this lineage of nose to tail chefs that has been inspired by Fergus Henderson. So Richard, give us a quick intro about yourself beyond that. (laughs) Okay. Um, Yes. um, I'm obviously English been here 25 years. I've worked around London also down in the South coast, Um, came over to the Americas, I believe you call it. And um, got famous in Houston, Texas for a, a no fully on, Boat, nose to tail restaurant called Feast, um, which got a lot of uh, national recognition and New York Times and all those things. Um, just because we were doing something sort of a little bit uh, very, very different for uh, Houston and, and America in general at the time. Uh, so that was sort of 2008 to 2013. And then I've been uh, doing some other restaurant stuff uh, since then uh, down here in Houston. So, Richard, you know, and now, like, a lot of the events that I do in New York, like the Brisket King and, and Pig Island, have kind of become more barbecue-centered. But in the beginning, um, it was more about nose-to-tail cooking and, and farm-to-table. Um, how did you get influenced by Fergus Henderson? And tell us a little bit about who he is, for those of us right. who don't know. Fergus Henderson is a, has a, a couple of... Uh, Places in London, um, St. John's and uh, Bread and Wine, I believe. Um, it got very famous probably 20 years ago, maybe now. Um, he was the first sort of godfather who brought back all these old recipes and thought about doing it old school of absolutely going nose to tail, you know, noses, ears, head, eyeballs, you know, you name it. Um, he would cook it. And doing it in a very uh, simplistic form, um, he was actually trained as an architect, <laughs> and so you can kind of see that in his food. It's it's, it's very it's very simple but very beautiful and very thought about. Um, and he became this giant phenomena, and then a lot of other chefs followed suit, going, "Oh wow!" And this is this is what it should be like. This is what people should be doing. This is what people in the rest of the world have been doing for thousands of years, like in South America and Asia and, and, you know, parts of Europe and everywhere, basically. And that sort of got lost in sort of translation through the years, even even in England to a certain extent, until Fergus sort of brought this resurgence back. Um, and then, you know, obviously it had a little bit of a, um, a thing in America, <laughs> but um, it was a bit more of a, a hard push here in a lot of ways. But then he also helped people... Uh, start con- reconsidering that English food did have a really good heritage, <laughs> right? Well, thank God for that. Eh? <laughs> yes, no, no, he did, and he was one of the great pioneers of 
the renaissance of English English cooking and being, you know, I suppose respected again in the world um, for, for 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 our culinary. You know, it became obviously a bit of a big butt joke, you know, for a long time about English food. And there's some, there is some bad food in England, yes, there is, but there's some bad food in most countries. So, but uh, no, hey, Richard, how, so how did that how did that translate to, to you cooking in Houston and at feast? Um, well, we had me and my ex partner James Silk. We had a brief, a little um, place before that, but which was didn't work out. But it was a good, nice sort of dress rehearsal. And he, I didn't actually directly work for Fergus. Um, James did, and he was doing front of house, and then he was doing some staging just because he was interested in it. I was the trained chef, and James wasn't, but he got into front of house stuff. Um, and he worked under and just did staging. You know, he would sit behind the sink cleaning pig's ears for five hours, you know, just for no money, just for the experience. And so um, he was trying to get to Houston and get his green card so we could open a restaurant. And, and because I had sort of the culinary background and he had some of the other St. John kind of stuff going on that he knew about and loved, we sort of made this beautiful thing. Um, and... Yeah, feast. We absolutely down the line, and we we only we only dealt with farmers we knew. We only dealt with you know animals and farms we knew. Um, we knew the pigs were rolling around in the sunshine. The pigs were you know rolling around in mud. Um, we knew where the chickens were running around, and we did everything from you know even the cases of stuff we that we got in occasionally, which is obviously very rarely we would get case of anything, but we again we knew that it was happy animals from good farms and good farmers that were doing things properly. Um, all the fish we got locally from um, a fishmonger called PJ Stoops, who was a wonderful guy who went round and basically took up all like the bycatch from the the fishing boats with bycatch being all the stuff that comes up. Um, also with the stuff that they do want. Um, so they're wanting grouper and another different load of fish that just happen to be in the net. Quite often those things would be thrown back in the sea and those would die, etc. And my friend would, you know, give us all this fun stuff. So we had all these crazy, insane fish. And so, again, we did like a lot of whole fish. Um, that was our thing because, in my opinion, that tastes better, you know, anything on the bone like, like meat also. Uh, so this wonderful thing came together and we were doing, I used to spend most of my days off researching old English and European uh, recipes from like two, three, four hundred years ago and sort of adapting them to modern taste. I suppose a little bit Heston Blumenthal in some ways because um, I really enjoyed those those things. And then we would sort of probably put a little bit of a spin on it. Um, but this beautiful thing and it was a little old house. It was an old like 120-year-old creaky house with floorboards and a fireplace, and it was a tiny, tiny little rooms, and it, it was just a beautiful thing. It was just like a very quirky little restaurant doing quirky things. Yeah. Well, let's go to Angela now. So let's just, you know, thinking of summer, um, what beer are you drinking? Because you're making me think about what kind of beer would go with barbecue and some other cooking. Yeah, uh, Angela here. Uh, well, I'm I'm drinking the Schlinkerla uh, Ralph Beer Hellas right now, which is one of my favorite favorite breweries and beers of all time. Uh, which has that smoky characteristic because it's a Ralph beer, which I think is kind of perfect for the conversation, especially what you're talking about. And I'm just so incredibly excited when uh, Richard I heard you're going to be on and and we're going to be talking about today. I just that's incredibly incredibly cool stuff, especially when it comes to pairings. When it comes to barbecue, though, it's kind of funny. Most people will think. 
hey, those smoky beers would be perfect. But a lot of times when you have smoky character in the food, it can end up canceling that smoky characteristic in the beer. So I actually really love to, you know, what we call contrast with that and have something uh, on the totally opposite end of the spectrum to really highlight all of that food. But uh, just this particular realm of food, I'm very excited to talk about today. Great. And what are some other um, beers that you might recommend just in general for these kind of summer pairings? Because when you said Schlenker La Hellas, I thought, well, I've had a couple Northeastern lightly smoked beers, like Kent Falls made a beer with a barbecue uh, place in Connecticut called Besmoke, which is also like very subtle smoked ale. And Threes last year or two ago had the Short Fuse, which is also like a, a subtleness, very subtle smoke on, on yeah. a, like a more of a session beer. Um, anything that, that else that you'd recommend that is or isn't a smoked beer to go with barbecue? Just to get us started talking about beer too. Yeah, perfect. I mean, honestly, there's just been so many high quality sours coming out, especially with additions of fruit. And I find that that savoriness, the saltiness, the roast in contrast with fruit beers, fruit forward beers of many different varieties can be just exceptional. Uh, if you're not in that mood though, for something kind of maybe tart or a little bit sweet at moments, um, I mean, Honestly, there's just been a whole other realm of phenomenal lagers that have been out in the market for a few years now, right? Because the pendulum's kind of always swinging in the beer industry, uh, but it's thankfully for me kind of swung back into these classic Pilsner styles, like specific Czech Pils styles, a lot of Hellas coming out. And of course, that's perfect for summer. It's not only great by itself for summer, but it could just be that perfect high carbonated uh, beverage that you need to cut through all these big flavors. Because that's the thing at the end of the day with pairing. My favorite pairing tool is carbonation. And that's why I personally feel that beer is the better or, or, or easier pairer with food than say wine or other beverages, because it more readily has those bubbles to cut through what you're eating. And when we're talking barbecue and everything else, uh, yeah, that, that definitely is a, a great way to go. Right. And then also just, uh, next time we come back on, just tell us a, a few specific beers, um, as well. Um, and oh, let's just, cool. yeah, and just to go to Emery now. So Emery, I know that, um, just tell us what, why you started a non-alcoholic, uh, beer brand. Yeah, I, um, I started actually when I was pregnant with my daughter back in 2017. Um, my husband and I were big kind of beer drinkers and, um, I was trying what was on shelf at the time and didn't care for, um, you know, the taste. So I set out to try to create something that tasted really good. So I'm drinking our citrus wheat right now. It's a perfect summertime beer, in my opinion. goes great with this conversation um, of summertime pairings. So right, right side, C yes, citrus thank you. Right wheat. Side brewing. Okay, great. So Richard, let, now back to the, so it, it's summertime at the Feast or another nose-to-tail restaurant. First of all, what seasonings or, or any other influences did you get from Houston? Because I know Houston is one of the most multicultural cities in America. I mean, I mean, we, we, we were sort of more heavily influenced by European, you know, herb spices. We used, you know, a lot of old spices like mace and bay and things like that and, and nutmeg and um, that sort of thing. And a lot of fresh herbs. I mean, that was one of our main thing, fresh herbs. 
on the whole, are very heavily abused, especially with chefs. They throw a bit on the end to make it look nice or put a bit of colour on it. No, it's not for that. It's a layer. It's a layer. You put herbs in the bottom of a soup bowl, you pour soup in, boom, you get a beautiful floral thing. You know, you put herbs in uh, in, a, in a braise, it's going to be a very background thing. You know, later on, you put it in right on top of the last meal, it's going to be in your face. You know, we'll do... Uh, amazing things but I mean we had a little bit of influence I mean Houston is an amazing an amazing place it is what they call the melting pot we have so many different cultural influences going on here and and to be honest we didn't stray too down too far down any of those roads too much we were we, we especially during the summer and things like that we would we would go a little bit more sort of Spanish and things like that we, we used to do even things like you know a good paella with rabbits and shrimp and you know giant paellas and stuff um you know not, and pork bellies and things like that you know we just didn't stick to the totally weird it was you know or unusual shall we say um so we would we would mix it up a bit but we were more about probably the old school you know herb spices influences i would say in a lot of ways yeah so let's let's so tell us a few things that, that might have been in that rabbit paella and then we're gonna ask angela <laughs> to come up with an actual beer to pair with it oh okay um i mean you'd have you know uh, perhaps some uh, uh obviously rabbit you'll probably have some like chicken thighs make sure you get a nice bit of chicken skin in there obviously rabbits ferociously ferociously lean, which was probably cooking rabbit. You've got to be a little careful with it. Um, I mean, we would probably throw some, like, big old shrimps or prawns, um, you know, perhaps some little fire-roasted uh, peppers and chilies, some nice some nice olives, obviously, like, saffron, lots of garlic, lots of rosemary. Rosemary's a really lovely one, I think, especially with the sort of rustic paellas. Um, um, yeah, I mean, all, all those, those good sort of hearty hearty things, you know, good, good, uh, rustic flavors, I would say a lot of fresh herbs, you know, although you, you know, you don't mess with the paella too much and then like big squeeze of lemons all over the top at the end and a little bit more perhaps fresh herb, parsley, that sort of thing. That sounds good. Angela, what would you pair with, with a dish like that without having tasted it? Yeah. I mean, what I was uh, mentioning before with those fruit forward beers, I mean, a, a, an easier to get throughout the country kind of, uh, Creek Lambic, because of course we can find our local options, but Allagash uh, is usually a pretty easily accessible uh, brewery that can create uh, that creates uh, several different creeks um, throughout the year, or uh, has uh, you know various releases. But something like that would definitely be the direction that I would go in for sure. Yeah, and a little more about you. Like I, I know that you were you said one of the youngest certified cicerones, um, but you you've really worked your way up. I know that recently you did a lot of cheer cheese and beer cheer <laughs> cheese and beer education oh my god um, that's yeah. genius you like that cheers <laughs> um, i do yeah yeah what, what what were the the challenges of of getting advanced cicerone because you, you've really stepped up your game and, and when i met you a few years ago you first come to new york from michigan you were just trying to figure out new york and you you keep growing so i'm, I'm a real fan of yours just so you know Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah, I lived in New York before, actually. Um, I moved here when I was 18 and uh, moved to L.A. for a little bit after that. And when I met my husband, actually, in, in Michigan, he was working at Founders Brewing Company. So he and I definitely connected and linked together, became uh, our 
beer power couple, if you will. And so I was like, you know what? I really need to get back to New York City. I miss, I just missed the city so much. And so much had happened in those years um, uh, in terms of the the beer scene. So yeah, I came back to the city with advanced Cicerone under my belt. Again, some work in the cigar industry um, under my belt. And I'm forgetting the question. Oh my God, Jimmy, what, <laughs> what was your question again? Just, just you know, the those those steps you had to take to to become an advanced Cicerone, oh, and then right. and then kind yeah. of finding your way is the industry here. Yeah, no, that's a that's a great question. Thank you for for asking that. The advanced Cicerone exam is so different than the other the first two versions of the exam, right? You're definitely taking a big step up. So it's not just studying, reading, it's also manual, you know, working with your hands and really understanding how to work within the beer industry. So when you're being tested on uh, brewing equipment, you're actually in a brewery walking around with a master Cicerone and they're just drilling you with questions. When you are being asked draft dispense questions, of course, my favorite parts, um, you're in a cooler and they've messed up the system and you have to go in and fix it kind of thing. It's it's hands on. And of course, just sitting, writing just straight essays, no multiple choice or anything like that. So really trying to get towards a, a mastery or eventual mastery of, of each and every subject related to beer. What I personally love the most is, is how diverse all the different knowledge sectors were wasn't just like oh you have to know only about brewing it's encompassing everything so I loved that extra challenge personally but you really have to want it to get to I mean to that level because it just involves so much uh and thankfully a lot of beer drinking so I'll tell you a fun thing I did for oh my god I can't believe it um for for prepping for the exam is I'll be working at this uh cigar lounge running the beer program and of course when you have a cigar pretty smoky and it's going to affect your whole system, (laughs) your whole palate, right? So every morning at 10 a.m., my adoring, lovely husband would have this like five beer mini tasting flight set up, quizzing me on styles, like extremely, like very related styles. Like um, uh, he would have like, um, say like a coffee stout next to an imperial stout next to a, uh, like a nitro stout, you know, all these slightly different but similar styles and I'd quiz and go through and taste all of those beers and see if I passed or not and then on to work so it was just a really bizarre time of my life but I was really glad to have the time to study and just uh learn all different aspects of the industry if that makes sense no that's great Richard let's 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 pick a couple more dishes well this is this is getting fun um (laughs) how about this with I know um (laughs) Fergus Henderson in one of his books he's got this like the, the trotter that becomes, they call it, is it called trotter gear, where you just kind of slow cook? Oh, oh trotter gear, foot. yeah. He used, he used to, yes, he used to sell it in like little packages. Um, I believe it was, he, it was based, you know, you could make like sauces, stocks out of it, and it was completely gelatinous. And so it gave, it gave the dish a, like a sauce base in some ways, as far as I remember that, that, that thing. But yeah, I think he used to sell it. <laughs> we used to do a lot of trotters. We used to, um, we used to stuff them with like chorizo and cilantro and a lot of fresh herbs uh, and, and rice. Uh, so you basically split the foot, you take, you know, the, uh, some, some of the meat out and the bits and pieces, and then you, you make a, a really nice stuffing mixture, um, put it all back in, tie it up, and then uh, roast it in the oven in, in foil, which is wonderful. So you get all this wonderful aromatic stuff and obviously the anxiousness 
uh, of all the fats and stuff going on with, with, the, with the foot, which is wonderful. Angela, what would you pair with something like that? You know, very gelatinous, uh, fatty pork. Yeah, that sounds to me like that fat needs to be lifted, right? Um, yeah, so honestly, it's not a, a typical lager style that you'll see, but if you do see it, I've been seeing a few more pop up, but a Zwickel, that Bavarian lager. Um, so I know Urban Chestnut makes a great one. I don't know how necessarily nationwide, like accessibility-wise, you can get that beer, but if you see a Zwickel in your area, I personally do love the Urban Chestnut Zwickel. Um, it's, a, again, a rare style, but it has just a little bit more malt backbone, almost this breadiness to it that I think would be uh, standing up to such a dish, but also, again, that carbon dioxide, that carbonation can cut through something that's exceptionally fatty. I don't really like to go down that hop or IPA routes with uh, dishes like that because the fats, those oils of fat plus the hops can make it really bitter, extra bitter in a way that's not as appetizing. So beware with hops and uh, fattier dishes. You know, you you started mentioning uh, carbonation and everything. Um, Let's switch it to what can we expect now that COVID's wrapping up? Like during COVID, we all had so many cans and so many breweries rushed to, to make their beer in cans. And it was great. But then the last few months, I was just craving some really good draft. And unfortunately, I've been out in quite a few restaurants where I know they have a, a, a couple like high profile, you know, hard to get craft beers on draft. And I've been disappointed with the service, either the temp isn't right, or there's just something off with the pour. And I know it's not the beer. So what, what, how do you see this recovery from COVID? And are are these, are there places that are rusty? Are there places that got lazy, not doing draft for over a year? What what do you think's going on? Oh yeah. I mean, I've been uh, in deep conversations with my draft dispense contacts in Chicago and New York, and the same kind of things are happening is that these systems have been shut off for so long. uh, Sometimes it's hard for them to start back up again. And you'll start discovering a lot of issues with temperature, with your beer pumps, you know, things just sitting, maybe it wasn't cleaned properly because people of course were rushing out of their, I mean, I remember in Manhattan, that kind of weird terror weekend where everyone's like, I don't know what's happening and everyone just kind of ran. So it makes complete, complete sense that we're seeing so many issues. So these draft dispense companies are inundated with work. If actually I'm putting the call out, I'm I'm specifically looking for draft techs or anyone who would like to work in the draft dispense arena, because I'm looking to put together educational programs to help guide people through that. That's something even beyond what, uh, say, Micromatic offers or Perlick, because this is a really necessary part of the industry. And I think we're definitely seeing that now after COVID. So we're going to get some pretty gross lines right now. And unfortunately, it's going to be a continue to be a tough fight because a lot of times when uh, retailers or these owners and bar and restaurant owners are faced with, hey, you need to clean your lines or make any changes or spend more money, it can be hard for them to see or realize or understand that they're actually losing money by not taking care of these issues. So that's why, I, again, I nerd out about it because I, I see that the numbers are there. It makes so much sense to take care of it, but sometimes it can be a hard battle showing people uh, why this math is um, not working on their favor currently and how we could make it better. Yeah. And now to Emery. Um, so you're down in Atlanta. 
what are some of the the summer foods that that you're seeing and that you'd pair with uh, your right side beers? Yeah, so I think our our wheat is really kind of our summer star. Um, in Atlanta, we have um, you know a lot of barbecue, but I think that's fresh in my mind after the Fourth of July. But really, I think that lighter food goes really well um, just because our wheat's so light. Um, so stuff like a summer salad or kind of a nice piece of grilled fish with lemon on it, that citrus complements um, the wheat really well. Um, I would love to hear if, you know, Angela or Richard have any pairing suggestions with just a really light American um, citrus wheat. Angela? Hmm. Oh, man. Oh, there's nothing better. Is it more, would you say it's more... Uh, German wheat or like American wheat? It's American wheat. American wheat. So maybe a little bit more hot bitterness in the backbone or not so much? Um, a little bit, not too much. It's pretty, um, pretty mild. All right, cool. Yeah, just, just because like that does make such a big difference, right? Because people say wheat beers and then they'll try one like, oh, this isn't quite the wheat beer I was thinking of because there's such a variety, which I obviously absolutely love. <laughs> um, so something like that, you're, I think you're spot on with um, with the salad, even uh, thinking cheese too, if you want to go in the caprese salad realm, a little bit of fat from the cheese actually could help tamp down a little bit of the bitterness, but work really well with that mouthfeel of the, um, of the wheat itself. Um, but honestly, you could even stand up to your uh, to some sandwiches. I think that even uh, or something particularly brioche or doughy. I don't know. That's kind of where my brain is is going right now. Richard, I, what, what's what's it making you think then of? <laughs> Strange, I was thinking about on the same lines uh, in, oh, a bizarre, okay. in, a, in a bizarre kind of way. Um, I, I I made up this uh, recipe called pig's ear cake, um, which was basically sent through, I think it was a very vaguely Greek-based, but we sort of adapted uh, it for our needs. And it was wonderful. So it was like almost like a, a bready cake. And we used to make it in a loaf pan. Um, and we used to like pre-cook the pig's ears, sliced up really fine. And then we would mix it with, big, uh, with little chunks of ham and, and bacon and then we would have um, a, a little bit, again, a little bit of citrus, a lot of fresh herbs, and like dried fruit in there. Um, so you'd have like a little bit of some apricots and um, raisins and sultanas and stuff. So you've got a little, little sweet stuff going on, a little, um, a little saltness in the background from the, the, the pork products, um, and some floral from the, um, the herbs. And then what we used to do is like we used to make it in a loaf pan and then literally slice it like a loaf of bread. Um, put mustard on it and cheese, and then like grill it, broil it. <laughs> so, yeah, so it's all this oozy, wonderful cheese, porky, uh, cakey thing. Uh, yeah, I think that, that would go lovely. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Yeah, that, that sounds really good to me too. Keep going, Angela. This is good. I love it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think I'm glad that we both were thinking along the lines of like dairy in terms of cheese because it has fat yes yeah. but that dairy i mean the dairy specific flavor can really again kind of calm things down uh so that really comes in handy again if you do have even just ever so slight hot bitterness um in the background there i, I don't know about you guys but i've been trying out more watermelon salads recently i'm like whoa this is crazy so feta mint watermelon things like that uh, that might even be another direction I'd go in to really play up some other, especially citrus characteristics 
yeah. spend that week here, I think that'd be a lot of fun. Well, Angela, can, can you recommend uh, an alcoholic wheat beer, American wheat beer that you like? Oh my God, why am I so stuck on Allagash? No, I got to think of another one. Um, God, I've been to cheese too long, you guys. Allagash, right. Allagash White, does that count? That's. It's, uh, you know what? Actually, theirs is more along the uh, Belgian wit beer yeah. varieties. Yeah. Let's see. I mean, like a classic, you know what? Even like classic, um, when people think of like classic American wheels, Bells. I was just going to say that. Right? <laughs> yes. And I'm from Michigan, of course. So he's just, people drink that like water all the time, that and two hearted. But that I think is like the epitome of classic American wheat that people think of with the Oberon. Uh, and various other releases from them. That's a good one. That That's actually good. I'm going to get one of those this weekend if I can. Yeah, it's a callback really for sure. It's, yeah. Yeah. Well, my, my point I'm getting to is that I do feel, you mentioned a couple of German, German styles, and I've always felt for years that many German style beer styles go great with so many different foods, um, and especially, especially wheat favorite. beers. I think wheat beers are... Some of the best for for food pairings. Um, I know a few things. Says Germans about beer, I hear. Yeah, you hear that, Richard? Richard, what, have yeah. you done any? Um, did you do any beer dinners at feast over the years? We 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 did. We did. We used to have. Um, oh my goodness! We used to we we used to have a very sort of eclectic um, wine list and beer list, mainly put together through my ex partner James, who did a lot of traveling and stuff. So we'd have. Um, uh, so we'd have, you know, like a the, the Spanish style lager, and then we had like Duval, and we had like, um, you know, some Sam Smiths, and we we had a, a wonderful sort of mi mixed array of, of quite a few different um, Spartan things like that, a few sort of uh, lighter Pilsner type things to cut through the food and things, and, and people got into it a little bit, and it was very sort of all over the place, and yeah, we had no. We had no domestic wine or beer at the restaurant. It was all uh, it was all international and European. <laughs> yeah, well, it is a, we're after a great start. We're going to come back in a few minutes and quiz Richard on beer uh -oh. sessions radio. All right. Uh oh. HRN is excited to unveil the new look of food radio. We have a new brand identity and a new website. Our site makes it easier than ever to discover new podcasts and dig through our archive of 16,000 episodes. It's been 12 years since HRN started broadcasting food radio, and we've made it this far thanks to the support of our global listening community. It's because of member donations that Beer Sessions Radio is on the air with 30 other weekly shows. Your contributions give HRN the security we need to stay on the air during the pandemic and are allowing us to reopen our studio. Becoming a monthly sustaining member of HRN shows how much you care about Beer Sessions Radio and Food Radio, what it means to you. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. 
their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. Congratulations, Heritage Radio Network team. There's a new website and logo. Thank you so much to everybody on the staff and uh, the director, Katie uh, Moseman Wadler. Um, check us out, heritageradionetwork.org. Become a member and support us. So um, what, a, what a show. It's summer. It's July 6th. It's, it's like hurricanes are coming in, thunderstorm, even up here in the Northeast. There's like, I hear some thunder. Um, but Richard, we're going to quiz Richard because, uh, you know, he's one of our, our secrets. You're the reason for immigration, brother. <laughs> we'll take <any laughs> English chefs who want to work in Houston because – you, you've really been a, a prize. You came to Brisket King and helped judge some barbecue in New York City in April. So let's start with Emery and then Angela. Just come up with a flavor. It can be a, a flavor from a beer you know or some other flavor or mention a beer you have. And let's see what Richard would pair with it. So Emery, why don't you go first? Something besides the citrus wheat. All right. So we have an American IPA, which is kind of a um, – West Coast style with some citrus notes to it as well. Um, it's non-alcoholic um, with a little bit of hop there at the end. Hmm. I've, uh, yeah, I mean, we used to have a wonderful dish, which we actually got um, got put forward in, in, um, on TV by Frank Bruni, um, which was a wonderful honor. Um, it was rabbit liver and kidneys on toast which is wonderful. So basically we just pan fried those um, and make a little instant, like reduced, slightly sweet, meaty um, sauce with it. And then we'll just literally put that on some buttered toast, pour a little sauce over it. Beautiful. Very meaty, very minerally, very um, slightly sweetness going on as well. Fantastic fish. Yeah. Richard, you know, um, when I grew up, my, my grandfather was from the south of Italy and a real countryman, gathered his own mushrooms, right. but he cooked a lot of, a lot of rabbit. Um, was yes. the rabbit you, rabbit you you cooked at Feast, was that sourced in Texas? Yes, that was. That was from um, our French friend, uh, Sebastian Bonneau, who runs a farm just outside Austin called Countryside Farms. Um Wonderful, wonderful chef, real French character. I mean, so so full on French. Um, has this wonderful farm, and so he he used to supply us quite a lot of our stuff. He supplies us like these giant ducks. I mean, these ducks you've never seen anything like them in in, in your life. I mean, they're literally the size of geese. Um, they were ridiculous. They were. I mean, just you could get like four portions out of the the, the two breasts, you know. Um, and he used to, we used to get guinea fowl from him. Um, and and wonderful rabbits and um, 
actually me and a chef friend went up to his farm one day because uh, you know we we're all about the nose and tail stuff and uh, but we were like well we should really put our money where our mouth is here and go actually see it firsthand you know we talk about it a lot and crap on about it we should go and see what this is all about and so we went there and we actually you know we we killed some rabbits and processed them and skinned them and, and did all that and uh, and some ducks and, and, and chickens and things on the same day which was it was very eye-opening but it was a good thing because we we talked a lot of things about this you know a lot of time and energy into farms and you know farm to table and nose to tail and it, we actually went up there and, and did it um yeah we love rabbit we did we did quite a bit of rabbit um, at uh, feast, I mean, my, my, my famous famous dish is. <laughs> um, I'd like you find a beer for this one. This would be a good one. So it was like a giant rabbit torpedo. So basically, what I did was take a whole rabbit, um, to make a, a wonderful sausage, fresh herb, dried fruit mixture. So like a very spicy, herby sausage, and then I would put that back into the cavity and sew it up like a football, basically. Um, and then I would put um, giant sheets of uh, suet pastry. So suet pastry is just pastry that's uh, using animal fat instead of um, generally, I mean, you can use beef or, or pork, generally beef, and use that as the fat instead of butter. And then I would literally close the whole thing up like a giant torpedo um, and roast the whole thing in the oven. So when you came out the other side, you presented to guests this whole giant thing um, and give them a giant cook's knife and say, go for it. And they would sort of like sword in the stone in reverse. You know, they'd like put the big sword in and, and the pastry would come apart and the rabbit and all the, the wonderful sausage meat came from inside. Um, yeah, wonderful dish. Love the rabbit. But it's very, very, but as I said before, it's very, very lean. So you really have to sort of be very careful with not being dry. So this was a wonderful way I came up with of actually, you know, getting the sausage and the fat inside and, you know, all part of it, what with that and the fatty pastry as well. Wonderful. Yeah, it's 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 been said that in some some poorer countries that 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 they were living off a of rabbit, people would die of malnutrition. Right. Uh, oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah, there's some you can't just live on rabbit alone, even though you might want to. Um, Angela, <laughs> so what, what would you pair with that? We'll go back to Angela Barron because that's a, that's a complex dish. It's almost like a meatloaf in some way. Yes, in some way. All I know is that I'm very hungry now. Uh, <laughs> that sounds so great. And by the way, I love that you're part of that whole process. It just it's it speaks to respect for the animal and for the process yeah. and what's happening and using each and every part. And I, it's, it's just a, it's really sad that that's not a bigger part of the conversation when it comes to food. So I think that that's remarkable when it comes to pairing with that. You're right. Like there's so much happening. I'm actually even thinking the stout realm right now. Mm. Um, uh, Evil twin definitely has like a whole series, but to be honest, they can get a bit, sweet so brooklyn brewing company is uh, i mean i'm constantly constantly drinking their beer it's a big go-to for me their black ops series their imperial stout i think uh for for me it's not um it feels more like a classic stout again rather than a bunch of adjuncts or additions or lactose or anything else because more often these days especially locally i'll see a lot of stouts in that realm so i'd actually i'd actually go down that path uh that or do my very best to try and find a lighter bodied standard stout uh nitrogenated 
because I don't know about you all, but that creaminess from the nitrogenated beer is one of my favorite things of all times, um, and I think would really do that dish. So you mean like a, a, nit- a nitro pour stout? That would be preferred, personally, yeah. Do, do you have yeah, one that you uh, can recommend yeah, for us? Absolutely. I mean, beyond Guinness, um, I'm trying to think of even, like, some local guys. Let me, let me think here. Have you had there's, – there's Rockaway out of Queens. Rockaway makes do a – Do they bl- have – a black gold style, yeah. For I know because at Jimmy's Forty Three, we used to rotate. We always had a nitro stout on draft, and we basically sold one keg a week for twelve years. And there weren't a lot of choices, but Rockaway we rotated through right. quite a bit. Wow, you really it. man, you're right. There are very few choices, but that's awesome. I'm definitely going to seek that out then because I, I get I would prefer to drink that more often than I can currently. Yeah, we're good. We're on the same page. I, I want to say. Um, you know, for Angela, you really have come a long way, and I, I am proud of you because um, I know how hard it is to really grow in this industry. You know, for many of us, you know, there's jobs at the service level, but but you've really uh, gone above and beyond. And I, I want to give you a shout out. I mean, Murray's Cheese, which uh, to me it, it is an important, it was an important brand in, in New York City for a lot of things. Tell us about when you you became their beer educator and exactly what you did. And may, maybe offer another one or two uh, summer beer and cheese pairings. Uh, yeah, so I managed their education program. Uh, it was really great, again, to see another side of the food and beverage industry and how incredibly related fermentation of cheese is to beer. So I think that they were definitely natural pairers. Uh, in that job, it wasn't just the beer side, which is kind of the best part, because not only could I do beer and cheese classes, but all these other kinds of classes, including um, making cheese itself, so malt and burrata making, as well as putting together cheese boards and plates, which man, that is a whole huge realm in the cheese world for sure. But understanding and knowing those skill sets and how to actually uh, divvy up cheese properly and cutting techniques is was very, very incredibly helpful. And of course, pairing. And I have a whole new level of respect now for wine. I finally was able to f- discover wines that really spoke to me. And uh, that was that was a very exciting part. And even pairing weird things like baijo. Uh, the spirit Baijo, a uh, wonderful Chinese spirit that was uh, paired with cheese. And it was just one of the most bizarre things I've ever had in my life. So it was it was really exciting to be able to do um, that and to be able to get that cheese side under my belt. And now bringing that back into the beer world is, uh, yeah, has been incredibly, incredibly helpful. What's a summer cheese, a style that doesn't have to be a specific cheese, other than like a mozzarella or burrata that... Uh, you can recommend. Right, right. So um, there are Bloomy Ryan cheeses. And I feel like sometimes people are a little nervous about these breeze and camembert that they'll see in this category of cheese called Bloomy Rinds. Um, so this uh, wonderful um, mold will grow on the outside of the cheese and essentially eat away at it from the outside in or, or break it down from the outside and move its way in. So that's where we get these super cream bombs, you know, those ones just oozing out. Uh, but I know that they can be kind of intimidating to eat at points and they may not always just be cream bombs. Sometimes they're super mushroomy or, or uh, you know, a lot of sulfur uh, characteristics or just smell like broccoli. So they can be exceptionally savory or they can be sweet cream um, and this just completely opposite end of the spectrum. So I think 
both ways that you find uh, these Bloomy Rhine style cheeses, again, breeze and camembert included in that category, you can find a lot of uses in summer. It does still scream a, a lighter character of, of cheese, even though it's very creamy. But you can pair it with fruit, which is, of course, very popular in summer. So like dipping kind of things for those more savory versions or like those kind of broccoli, sulfury kind of ones. Uh, they're perfect, actually, with various meats. So really playing up that sa- that savory side and just uh, perfect for... Um, uh, for for pairing in, in those kind of like uh, uh, like in those settings when you're just having like quick grab and go sort of meats or things like that. So that's that's definitely a category again. I I really love, but again, there's two ends of the spectrum, so it can be kind of intimidating when people buy a cheese. Like, oh wait a second, this is way different than I thought it would be. So if anything, just make sure you talk to a cheesemonger when you're buying cheese because it's all about what's fresh and what's ready and what's uh, ripe. And especially that applies to those Bloomy Rhine style cheeses I mentioned. Uh, For example, by the way, if if you look up a cheese called Cremant, that can be a really great place to start. Also Latour, L-A-T-U-R. All right, Cremant Latour. Um, Now, Richard, (laughs) you must be getting excited, right? We're talking about cheeses. What role did cheese play at, at Feast? Um, we, we went back and forwards with it a little bit. We found it, obviously in England, it would be a dessert. You'd have it last thing. Um, and we, you know, tried it a little bit to start with, but we, we, we found it a hard push for American sweet at the end of the meal. Um, we had a couple of wonderful, uh, dishes, which are old English thing. There's one called an Eccles cake, which is basically puff pastry, um, you make a little round disc and then you make like a very sort of autumnal um, holiday mix of like raisins and currants and cinnamon and brown sugar and, and zest. Um, you put that inside and you, put, you slash the top so you can see open it and then you bake it in the oven. Um, put a little sugar on top, caramelize it a little bit and then um, you'd serve it with a really, really sharp cheddar which is wonderful. You get that really sharp cheddar thing going on with the sweetness and, and, and then the, the pastry and then the, you know, the zesty things going on inside. That was a really lovely thing, but yeah, on the whole, we, we, we found it a little bit of a hard push. We do have an amazing um, cheese shop here called Houston Dairy Maids um, who do an amazing job, been around uh, for a few years now. And they basically export cheese all around the country. They don't make cheese, but they have an amazing array that they pull from nationally, sometimes sometimes internationally. So, um, yeah, we sold some, but it, it was still a little bit of a hard push. That's really – I want to jump in really quick, Richard. I think that's really interesting that uh, you're right. I think – a lot of people eat cheese at the beginning of a meal, but that's not necessarily yeah. the case other places that you're, you're going. And I mean, if um, uh, Jimmy, you're asking about some some more beers too, like the Mandarin Glow Up. It's a sour Berliner Weisse with, of course, Mandarin uh, from Folk's Beer, something like that, where it has a specific tartness, not fully sour. And of course, a lot of big, wonderful fruit that I could totally see, even with that Bloomy Ryan style I mentioned for like dessert. But yeah, I, I though I find it wonderful. I'm coming from a cheese side where I say, "Oh my God, dessert cheese totally makes sense." Um, I just thought that was interesting. You pointed that out, Richard. That that's not where everyone's brain is at all the time. But I think yes. that cheese can be for every part of every meal. 
Absolutely. And you know, it, it is summer. But I just I was here and I'm sitting next to my window and, and there was thunder. Now you can hear the ice cream truck going by on the street. Love it here. Mm. Um, but let's just switch to non-alcoholic beers because, Angela, I know you have a lot to say about it. And Emery, uh, we've only done one show about it a year and a half ago. We did uh, a dry January show uh, with The Athletic. And, and, and Emery, you guys started in January. Angela, what is it about the NA beers? I, I've been a, I know there's a role for it in uh, most on-premise. I know that I'm always afraid to say the, the word non-alcoholic, and I like things like the German word alcohol fry. Where, where does this fit in your, you know, your whole lineup of things? Yeah, uh, I mean, I think it fits perfectly. And I think anyone who is really good at their job or pairings or anything else will know, already know and understand that uh, it won't, like alcohol is one aspect of the pairing. It doesn't make up the whole equation. So if you take out the alcohol, it may not have alcohol warmth that's coming into play or anything like that, but it doesn't mean that the pairing is lost. And so you can also bring in fantastic brewers who also don't turn their noses up at any beers. Like, no, this is another great realm of beer that we can create uh, that should have all of the same big, bold flavors or, um, you know, nice, easygoing lager aspects that we're all looking for. So I'm, I'm very much all about it. And again, like I mentioned earlier, uh, carbonation's everything. So as long as there is a carbonation conversation when it comes to the beer products, that's going to be exceptionally helpful for me in a pairing setting. So I'm definitely all about it. I'm so, so glad that there's more options for people who just want to opt in or out or, or whichever way in between. Uh, because I don't know about you guys, but I definitely even judge like bartenders by how well they can do an NA cocktail. Because if you really understand flavor, if you really truly understand how flavors work together in harmony to create something delicious, the alcohol shouldn't really honestly be a big factor there. Uh, you can still create something delicious without that. So I think it shows true skill sets when you can do it and do it well. I'm, I'm really excited about it, obviously. <laughs> Good. And Emery, what, what kind of feedback are you getting um, now that you're out in the market? Yeah, we're getting great feedback. I think that, um, you know, a, a lot of p traditional beer drinkers, I think, kind of initially shy away from non-alcoholic beer because, you know, of kind of what people have perceived it to be up until recently. And I think once you get people trying it and tasting it, the whole whole reason I created it was to kind of have that craft experience, that premium and local experience, but just for the NA category. So um, really getting great feedback on taste. We, we try to remove the alcohol through filtration just in a much gentler way to kind of preserve that natural color and flavor and aroma of the, the original beer. So, um, yeah, so far so good. That's great. And now Richard, let's, uh, we're going to wrap up the show a little bit, but what's for dinner at your house? What, or what are you eating and drinking? <laughs> well, it's a strange one. Um, I've actually, um, been working, started working for a tech tech Houston Texans athlete, and, and he has a very healthy, restricted diet, um, fish, eggs, and uh, sort of beyond meat products. So actually, it's, it's been rather wonderful because me, now me and my wife was tending to 
make a little extra and um, I'm eating a lot of Beyond Meat products, which I'm really enjoying. Um, you mean the brand Beyond Meat or you're just, or yes, just, yes, the yeah. Brand. yeah. I mean, I, I've been doing crazy stuff like, you know, traditional old stuff like shepherd's pie and um, even meatloaf and stuff. And you just basically, if you make it well enough, you can't tell. It's actually a pretty good product. And, and that and doing some Indian, um, been doing a lot of um, Indian crossover um, meals also. Um, there was a really interesting one I did for him last week, which was uh, had sort of Italian sausage beyond meat style, um, but it was like Indo-Italian lasagna. Uh, and it had lots of crazy stuff going on. So, yeah, we've been doing a bit of that and um, a lot of fresh fish. Uh, we've been joining him on the fresh fish front, which has been wonderful. Uh, really enjoying it. When you when you cook like a private chef gig like this, a top athlete, where do you cook? Do you cook at, at your kitchen and bring it over, or do you cook at that it's person's a, kitchen? Little of, a little bit of both. So basically you do the basics at home, and then uh, I go to his house every night, uh, five days, and uh, you do the last-minute stuff. Wow. Well, the Indian, I, I, I thought you might mention Indian food just because there's such great Indian food in London. Oh um, yeah. What 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 are what are some of the spices or preparations that stand out for you? That that if I had have three things that I would use to make it Indian, what would it be? Uh, I mean, obviously garam masala powder, which is a wonderful thing for using for a base for most things. Um, coriander, cumin would be my ones. I mean, obviously use the the, the whole seeds and then toast them. That's that's the key. If you if you smell like regular cumin ground from the store, and then you smell cumin that you've you've put on the stove and you've cooked out the seeds a little bit, toasted them as they say, and then ground it fresh, totally different deal. Totally, totally different deal. Fresh ground seeds that've been toasted smell wonderful. They're, they're wonderful. It's like chocolatey cumin. It, it really is. It's amazing, amazing flavor. Um, coriander the same. It's not quite the same. Um, yeah. Never get ground unless you really need to, because doing it, toasting those spices yourself, even black peppercorns and things like that, if you can do that and just spin it in like um, a coffee grinder kind of deal. Sounds like a, a good brewery. You got you got to have lo local malt and and uh, all that. Angela, um, last thing with those those flavors like cumin, fresh ground toasted cumin, coriander. What what beer would you give us before we go? Oh, yeah. I mean, we were talking Hefeweizen earlier, at least briefly. That's a classic, especially with Indian food, because it's one of those uh, wheat beers that is, has actually big, bold flavor, not only like super highly carbonated and like very soft, creamy mouthfeel, but you can have notes of like bubble gum and smoke and light, uh, of course, the light citrus and like just all of these big kind of hitting you in the face sort of flavors in some ways, and yet still light on its feet. So when paired with uh, exactly the spices that Richard was mentioning, we're going to have probably a really great combination no matter which half of ice you grab. There is... Of course, in my area here in New York City, there's the Grimm Weisse, a local Hefeweizen, but there's the classics from local American breweries that have been around for like 15, 20 years, some of them. And of course, the classics from Germany, whenever you can grab a bottle. Yeah. Besides Bells and Grimm, is there another, uh, like a wheat beer that you can recommend? Said American classics. Like one of the American classics? Yeah. You know what? Um, actually, something I, I, I'm, I my brain sorry does immediately go to like a Chicago brewery that has become uh, it, now nationwide known um, for their 
all classic German beers, uh, but Dovetail, they're actually becoming kind of a standard. So they're Hefeweizen, I would definitely say, uh, really, really does the job better than almost any others that I've had. Wow. Well, Angela, some yeah. of our listeners said we weren't talking enough about beer. So that's why I'm grilling you. So we've got the Grimweisse, the Dovetail Hefeweizen, uh, some of the Bell's Wheats like Oberon. In the stout categories, we talked about Brooklyn Brewery, the Black Ops. We talked about Rockaway, Black Gold Nitro Stout. We talked about nice. Folks Beer, Mandarin Glow yep. Up. That's that's one of my favorites. You mentioned Allagash Creeks. And um, and then, of course, Zwickel, you mentioned uh, Urban Chestnut from uh, yes. St. Louis. So we've, we've covered it all. And we've got Emery, thank you for coming on uh, from Right Side. I'm definitely going to try the citrus wheat and a beer. Thank you so much. And Angela, thanks again for all those great pairing suggestions. My pleasure. And good luck with the another show we'll do, Angela, is talking about draft dispense and Ooh, all the work that it. you're doing because, yeah, we need to get our chops back and, and everybody's hasn't really had to work on their draft systems for a while. And yeah, if anyone, by the way, uh, is interested in draft dispense or would like to have any, you know, any questions or troubleshooting, I'm all about, I'm all about that. Yeah. And what's your Instagram, Angela? Oh, right. My Instagram, man, I'm the worst millennial, like never download <laughs> Instagram anymore. Um, style Symposium. It's like my last name style. It's like Stein, but with an L. All right. We'll find it. Style Symposium. And we know Emery is right side. And then Richard is a crazy R something night, but Richard, Thank you so much, my friend. It was great meeting you at the Brisket King event. Um, really appreciate Thank your, your interesting perspective. Um, nose to tail, European food, cooking in Houston. And um, and you per you per perked me up. I'm going to go toast some cumin seeds. You got to get some cumin seeds. Good. Go, yeah, I need to see that kingdom. Friday night. Yeah, for your Friday night deal. I want to see some Indian stuff. Come on. We'll get it. We'll get it, brother. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks right, so much right. for joining me, Angela, Emery, and Richard. Thanks to our engineer, Armin Spengen, our assistant producer, Caroline Fox. I'm Jimmy Carboni, and thank you so much to the Heritage Radio Network team. Congrats on a great launch of the new logo and website at heritageradionetwork.org. We'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Woo! Okay. Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food Radio is supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like. Tell your friends and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.